Welcome again. Uh, we are we are in the seventh part of this really formative uh, sermon series that we're going through as a church, and and what a way to uh, enter a new decade as a church. Even as we reflect on these really formative things that we as a church um, believe in, or more rather, Christ invites us to believe in to be shaped into the bride that he wants for himself. And if you missed the first six parts, um, they're available on YouTube and all streaming platforms. Um, please go and uh, listen to them. Now, today we are in the seventh part of the series. Um, and, and this part is titled, great, The Great Commission and the Local Church. After a string of really explosive topics, on which the global church is not agreed uh, upon. Today we're going to be looking at a topic which the global church is agreed upon. But here's the thing, probably finds it the hardest to live out. We're going to be talking about the Great Commission and the local church. What's the role of the local church in fulfilling, fulfilling the Great Commission? The passage is probably familiar to all of us. We're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. The context is, this is the resurrected Jesus speaking to his 12, to his disciples who gather. These are the apostles that uh, he commissions them to be. Here's the chapter. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me just pray before we go into the word. Holy Spirit, we truly want to uh, thank you for the way you take God's word out of the pages of the Bible and make it living and alive in our hearts. This morning, even as we reflect upon your word, I pray that you will speak to our hearts that this very familiar passage may really uh, fill in us of a new fire. There'll be a new flame lit by you for your people in this world. Uh, we, we surrender to the authority of the word. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Here are the three things that we're going to be looking at this morning. The first thing is, how did the disciples live this great commission out? Here, the initial uh, disciples, the apostles. Second thing is, our struggle to live it out. Our struggle to live out the great commission. The first is, how did the disciples live out the great commission? Second is our own struggle to live this great commission out. And the third thing, we're going to be looking at the power to live the great commission out. Yeah? Shall we dive straight in? 
how did the disciples live the Great Commission out? Imagine this with me. What if the disciples themselves, because Jesus said, go into all of the world, to the ends of the earth, what, imagine these 11 guys and later one more joins, imagine all the 12 going into all parts of the world, preaching all of the gospel to all of the people and baptizing all of them, that, that would have been, and discipling all of them. No, that's not how they did it. So how did they live it out? The answer is simple. The disciples lived out the great commission to make disciples of nations by planting local churches everywhere they went. These local churches were the places where disciples were made, baptized, and taught all of God's word. And these disciples trained and raised local elders in these churches to do so. That's how they lived the Great Commission out. We see that, we've been, as a church, we've been reading through the book of Acts, and we see that all through the book of Acts. Let me do a quick drive-through of this amazing book in less than a minute. After Jesus commissioned them, we see the first fulfillment of this Great Commission in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preaches after the Pentecost, and many people believe, and they come, and, and new believers are added, and a local church is formed for the first time. Now from chapters 2 to 7, we see this church growing as disciples. We see amazing moments of faith. We see really messy moments. We see them being persecuted. And it's an action-packed 2 to 7 chapters. And in chapter 8, we see one of these people from this local church, Stephen, being stoned to death for the sake of of the gospel. What happens? The church, the, the believers scatter. The main apostles are still in Jerusalem. The other believers scatter. Philip goes to Samaria. He gathers, he preaches the gospel. Believers gather and the local church is formed in Samaria. Then Peter and John, the original apostles, come to this church. They, they, um, they pray for them and they pray for the Holy Spirit to come on them and the Holy Spirit comes and an amazing local church is formed. Acts chapter 9, Saul comes to faith and becomes Paul. Acts chapter 10, God sends Peter to the home of Cornelius for the first time. Peter's like, no, no, how can I, this is unclean. But God's like, go. The Great Commission to the ends of the earth. And the, the whole house of Cornelius believes and, and Cornelius and his home come to faith. Then what happens? Acts chapter 11, new church all the disciples who gathered from Jerusalem because of the persecution, they go to the region of, they, they go to Syrian Antioch and form a local church over there. Then the Jerusalem local church sends Barnabas to encourage this church. Barnabas takes along Paul and they preach to this church for a whole year, teaching all that God has commanded them, the Great Commission. Acts chapter 13, this Antioch church now has its own elders. And they send out Paul and Barnabas, go and reach out to more people. Then what we see in Acts chapter 13, they go to a new place, Pisidian Antioch, and a new local church is formed there. Acts chapter 14 is power-packed. A string of cities in Paul's mission trip. Derby, Lystra, Iconium. And all these local churches are formed 
And here's the best part. Look at verse 23 in Acts chapter 14. They appoint elders in all these local churches to care for their disciples. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas go to the region of Philippi and Lydia comes to faith, opening up her home for a local church to be formed there. Acts chapter 17, we see they go to Berea and a Berean local church is formed. Acts chapter 18, Corinth is formed. They, they stay there for a period of 18 months, teaching them everything. And then not just Corinth, Galatia and Phrygia, local churches are formed. Acts chapter 19, we see a local church being formed in Ephesus. Paul baptizes them and teaches them for a period of three months. And Acts chapter 20, we see Paul is gathering the elders of Ephesian church and he's saying, take care of the flock. It's an action-packed church-planting book. This is how the disciples lived out the Great Commission. And that didn't stop there with them. We see for the last 2,000 years, the disciples that were made went on to plant more churches and more churches and more churches. And we are gathered here as a chain reaction of that. Now we might think, Jesus never said in the Great Commission, go and plant churches. This might be their way of fleshing it out. This might be the disciples' bright idea. Friends, allow me to present to us this. Fulfillment of the Great Commission through local churches is not a bright human idea. How do we know this? Jesus specifically asked these apostles, wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit to fill you, then go and live out. When the Holy Spirit fills them and anoints them, they then go and live out. And every action of theirs, every direction they went, we see that all, all through the book, right? Paul is wanting to go someplace and through the Holy Spirit, no, he's guided to another place. And when they go and plant, the Holy Spirit comes and fills that local church with the Holy Spirit, with, with himself. And, and he, he approves and seals their salvation as a local church. Friends, it might seem like these disciples are the heroes of Acts book. But it's in fact the Holy Spirit working through them. He is guiding every step. He is opening doors. He is closing doors. He is bringing his people to faith and filling them with himself. So this is not the disciples' bright idea. Probably left to them, you don't know what they would have done. The Holy Spirit filled them and it is God's work through the apostles. If this is how the first disciples carried the commission out, how are we doing it? What is our struggle to fulfill the Great Commission? Now, it's no surprise to any of us that fulfilling the Great Commission is hard. Probably it's one of the top five things that Christians all over the globe are guilty about. Oh, I'm, I'm not sharing the gospel enough. 
while we acknowledge that it is hard, we must take some time to think why it is hard. Why is making disciples for Jesus hard for us today? And as I spent some time thinking about it, I was led to the verse 16 to see who is Jesus giving these, this great commission to. It's the disciples. He's giving, he's asking his disciples to go and make more disciples. So the great commission is not just for mere fans of Jesus. It's not merely for those who like him or subscribe to his teachings or probably church going, regular church goers. No, it is for disciples. These people did all of their life with him. For the last three years. They sat with him, ate with him, traveled with him, learned from him, served with him, devoted their entire lives to him. And that is the call for us today. Not just to be mere fans of Jesus, but be his disciples. Where we do all of our life in submission and devoted to him. Now going back to the original question. Why is it so hard to make disciples? Before thinking about that, we need to think, am I living as a disciple of Jesus? And if I'm not, what is making it so hard for me? Because when we think through why it is hard for me, then I will understand why will it be hard for the other person. Our struggle to make disciples for Jesus stems out of our primary struggle to live as disciples of Jesus. So why do we struggle to even be a disciple? Jesus himself talks about this struggle. He says in Luke chapter 14, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In short, Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you must be ready to lay all of your life down. The things that are so dear to your heart, the things that you cannot live without. And not just these things, our very own selves, we must be ready to lay it down. And this is challenging. This is a difficult thing. I know that all of us struggle with this. And living as this kind of disciple is really hard. Right? But friends, allow me to humbly submit something to us. It's not that we are not living as disciples. We are. We are, in fact, laying our lives down and sacrificing things every day. But what we are sacrificing for is not Christ. If you're living in Bombay, a city that people come to work in, to advance in their career, every day we are sacrificing things that are dear to us. And you don't need to be a Christian to agree with me. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know that your work is taking all of you. 
Now, in a city like Bombay, the thing that is primarily discipling us is our career. Now, here's the thing. In a culture where work is supreme, it is directing all of our paths, it is guiding every step we take, where we are humbly submitting and surrendering every day, how do we live as a disciple of Jesus instead? What does laying down our life at work Probably that's the thing that all of us can agree that is discipling us the most. We are sacrificing for the most. How does it look to live like a disciple of Christ here? It does not mean we quit our jobs and come on staff with New City. No, that's, that's not... <laughs> if you want to come, please. <laughs> but that's, that, that's not what it means. We, we must stop making... Here's what it means. We must stop making our jobs all about us and our glory. And instead, see our jobs as, as why Christ, why did he in fact give us in the first place? Seeing our jobs as something that we use to serve the world and the city. And not look for self-glory, but look and see that he is glorified in and through our work. How does this practically play out? We're not playing those dirty politics in our office places anymore. You're not daily scheming what is the next step? Which person can I step over? We're going out of our way, spending extra time into helping people, even at our own cost, helping a colleague. And here's the thing, not the colleagues who can benefit our career. That's not everyone is doing. Living a disciple of Jesus means helping, even going out of our way to see and help and spend time with people who can probably, in our own tunnel vision, are of benefit to us in the future. We are not raging in anger when someone else is being credited for our hard work. And that happens, right? And here's the difficult part. We are okay with saying no to some things at work when it is consuming all of us, all of our life. And even if that means this fiscal year we are not getting that raise or that promotion and it's slowing our career growth down. Friends, this kind of work ethic that seeks to serve at a great cost to oneself can only be shown by a person whose, whose life is being affected, transformed, and shaped by the one who laid his entire self down. Only when you receive this kind of love can you actually show this kind of love. And sacrificial serving at work at a great personal cost to ourselves can be one of the greatest invitations for explorers to see what a disciple of Jesus is like. They, they'll start to see, hey, work is consuming everyone. Everyone is like crazy about work and making all of their lives about work, but this guy is not. He's in fact going out of his way to help others advance. 
in a culture that is primarily being discipled by the workplace, living as Jesus, living as Jesus' disciples involves sacrificial serving at our own cost. And it is not going to be fair. This is unfair, but that's the love. How can I do this? That guy is advancing at my cost. That's Christ's love. How do we find the strength to do this? This is crazy. This is contra-cultural. This, this is crazy. I mean, the, uh, the, the self-motivation things that you get on Instagram reels on how to advance careers, I'm not going to tell you this. How do we live this out? Friends, here's the thing. The strength lies in being disciples together. Not in trying and being an individual disciple by ourselves. It's infinitely more difficult to be a disciple alone by ourselves. But it is in community that we find the power to grow as disciples. Look at, look at what's happening in this passage in verse 17. The disciples are seeing this resurrected Jesus and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They're seeing face-to-face resurrected Jesus and some of them still doubt if it is the resurrected Jesus or not. And here's the beauty. The call to be disciple-making disciples is for all of them together. It's not eliminating these people. Are you doubting here only what you'll do when I leave? No, it's for all of them together to live it out together. And that is what our call is. We are called to be disciples together. And probably some of us are relating to those weaker ones. Our hearts are plagued with doubts. These doubts are are probably the billows uh, uh, that roll over our faith as we sang last Sunday. And here's the thing. We might not doubt if Jesus indeed rose or no. But here's the thing that we doubt. Is laying myself down every day, in fact, worth it? Our mind probably thinks it is, but our hearts don't believe it yet. We still struggle with this doubt. Is laying myself down for Christ every day worth it? Friends, here's the thing. When we are plugged into a church community where members have mutually covenanted to lay their lives down together for Christ... When we see others sacrificially laying down week after week, that's where we find the strength. Holy Spirit uses that to give us the strength to lay ourselves down. Friends, I have benefited from this. You know, sacrificial service, it might look like it comes easy, but no, my heart doesn't want to sacrifice in the last six and a half years that, that my life has been shaped by this community, I have seen people lay their lives down at great personal cost to themselves to serve this community. And times when it was hard, but they've laid their self down. Looking at that got me 
to lay myself down, whatever little that I can. Friends, we are called to be disciples together. There is no way you and I are going to lay our lives down by living as disciples outside as lone rangers by ourselves. It's in and through the local church community that the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to count the cost of being a disciple and to joyfully lay ourselves down. So it's in this community that he calls us also to go and make disciples of others. How do we find, forget just finding the power to live as disciples, how do we find the power to go out there and make more disciples? How do we do this? Let's look at the passage. The Great Commission is sandwiched between a declaration of power and the promise of his presence. Right? The declaration of power is Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then comes the Great Commission. Then go forth, go therefore and make disciples. And then comes the promise of his presence. It's a sandwich over there. And behold, I am with you always to the ends, to the end of the age. What is this authority that Jesus has? We see that in John 17, chapter 2, to give eternal life to all whom his father has given him. He has the authority. So what do we make of this sandwich right here? The the declaration of power, the great commission, and the promise of his presence. Here's what Jesus is saying. It is me who has all authority and all power in heaven and on earth who I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. It is not some powerless Jesus. And this is the resurrected Jesus saying. But if we've been Christians for any length of time, we know this. But yet, we don't experience this kind of freedom and power to go out there and and fulfill the Great Commission. Why? Why don't we still not? Allow me to suggest something from this very passage. We all know this amazing promise. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We know this. We believe in this. But we probably believe this at a personal level. I know Christ is with me always. Till he comes back, he sent the Holy Spirit. He is with me. While that is true, this passage is suggesting something else. The you in this verse is not second person singular. The you in this verse is second person plural. I am with you. When he says, he's saying this to all his disciples together. This holds true for us as well. The power to live as disciple-making disciples is experienced only when we are plugged into a community, an active life of a local church. Apart from this, experiencing this kind of power, which Jesus promises, is difficult. Behold, I am with you. He's telling us that he is with us together. In this passage. 
the all authoritative presence of Christ that empowers us for the great commission is experienced together as the local church. You know, we have experienced this to be true. During the week, I work out of this place, and it looks very different if you come here in the week. And there are a lot of people who work here. And I happen to make some friends that come and work out of here. And, and some of you have probably also met them. One thing one of them recently had said to me is this. The one thing you guys have is the community. He's experienced our community in various forms. He's come to our, our uh, Sunday service. His, his daughter thoroughly enjoyed our kids' church. He's even come to our worship practice. So he's experienced church community in different forms and sizes. And the thing that draws him or it makes him even interested about Christ or about us is the community. We've had several conversations, not just me, but even Anand has several conversations with this person. What's the point that I'm trying to make? If I did this life by myself, I would have never been able to have that kind of impact on this person. It's the community. Recently, another one who was there for our WeWork Christmas carols outreach, he heard our carols here and recently comes up to me and asks, hey, how often do you have these meetups? I do not have anyone to hang out. I do not have a social life. That's exactly what he said. I need community. And I'm hoping, I invited him to church, I'm hoping he joins. What's the point I'm making? There is something powerful in just being a community of Christ's disciples in the city. There is something powerful about just, even just being his disciples and doing life together and loving on the city together. This is not my idea. Christ himself is saying this in John chapter 13. This is 34 to 35. He says, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you, are, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, what is this about the church community that is so attractive? The love in the church community the love that a church community seeks to grow in and show to others is the very love that Christ shows to us. And what is this love? It's covenantal love. It's the love that says, I'm seeing your flaws, but I'm not running away from you. I'm staying here and doing life with you until Christ is formed in you. And vice versa. As a community, we are showing covenantal love to each other. I know we have a lot of room to grow. But that's the goal. That's what Christ is inviting us. And this kind of love is attractive to a very transactional, contract-based world. 
where I'm only going to love you until you are useful to me. This kind of love is very attractive to a world that lives in, in that kind of context. And we're called to be that community, a covenantal love community in this world. And that is attractive to the world outside. One of the most tangible ways in which an explorer can see the love of Christ, the sacrificial love of Christ that went to the cross and died for you and I, one of the most tangible ways for an explorer to see this is when he sees his disciples actually laying their lives down to love on each other and to love on the city together. I want to close with just one simple tangible step. Friends, would you like to make this covenant to live as members of one another in this local church and be on mission together? Individually, we're, we're going to burn out. Individually, in a, in a world that is as busy as this, the Great Commission is not even on our minds. I'll be very honest. I work as a pastor in this church. It's only in living life as community where we live on mission together, encourage each other, provoke one another to be on mission together. Would you like to take that step? Allow me to just pray and close. Lord, you indeed put rich treasure in jars of clay. Looking at ourselves, looking at my own self, I'm like, why would you even do this? How would you trust me with this such rich treasure? But I look to the cross. I look to your Holy Spirit who is working in me, within me. And thank you for laying this rich treasure in us as a community. Holy Spirit, would you teach us to appreciate, grow in our love, and, and our amazement and wonder of this treasure together in a way that we cannot stop ourselves from proclaiming it to the world. Help us in moments when we are the weakest, when we all we want to think of is our own selves, me, myself, and I, in the church and out there in the workplace. Holy Spirit, nudge our hearts to lay our lives down to the only one who is worthy of it. May we lay our lives down, not at the altar of our careers, not at the altar of our, our, our individual passions and anything that may draw our hearts and captivate our hearts in this world, but may we lay our lives down at the cross where eternal life was poured out into us. Help us, Holy Spirit.
In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.